Uh, I'm going to speak to you just a few minutes this morning on the Christmas hope to the next generation. Wrap up this discussion of how Christmas is so vital to our mission as a church. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Let's stand together as we open the Word of God together. All right, you found your place. We're looking at Mary's song of praise here, and then we'll look at some passages in Luke chapter 2. Interestingly, Luke has more to say about the early years of Christ than any of the other gospel writers. I think it had to do with him being a physician. I think that had a lot to do with it. But let's look at verse 46 and see Mary's song of praise when she hears the news from Elizabeth about what uh, this child that she's carrying is going to be to the world. As in Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. His name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has, not, uh, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. And he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hunger with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy. Just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham, his descendants forever. Father, we are so grateful that your word makes it clear. That Christmas was a message that was to be carried from generation to generation. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see our part. Just as in the drama, Zach discovered that he had a significant role. I pray we would see our role in this process. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I was... Intrigued by a, a picture that I saw on uh, social media this week, a picture that some of you may have seen. I think we've got it here for you to put it up on the screen. But it's the picture of a little boy kneeling with Santa. This is at a mall, actually, in South Carolina. And, and the picture caught my attention because I love when it shows that Santa is bowing to recognize the only true God. Uh, what happened is, is this little boy, and his name is Preston Barnett, visited them all, and when he, as a four-year-old, had heard about a baby, referred to as Baby Knox, a little baby in Vegas who was in a hospital, who was uh, on life support at the time, and I haven't seen the latest update, but he and his family were praying for this little baby who was in, in this, uh, this time of uh, intensive care. And so when he goes to Santa, the one thing that was on his mind was not Christmas gifts, but he said, can I ask you to pray for baby Knox, who's not doing good in the hospital? And so Santa stepped down from his seat and knelt down beside little Preston, and the two of them prayed together. And this picture uh, went viral. It kind of captivated a nation because it showed us that even a four-year-old can get it. A four-year-old can understand that there's something more important than what I'm going to get for Christmas. There are bigger things in life to be concerned about. You know, kids are, are, are capable of putting things into perspective more than we realize sometimes. Over the past two weeks, we've talked about the Christmas hope and the importance 
of, of taking this hope to our neighbors, the importance of taking this hope to the nations. And by the way, you did a fantastic job last Sunday bringing uh, missions offering for, for taking the gospel around the world as well as gifts as we just filled this area around this tree up last week and had the joy this week of ministering to some families right here in our own community who have great needs this time of year because of your generosity. Uh, clothes and food and gifts for kids for Christmas. You did a fantastic job. And then today to come and, and say we want to reach the next generation. Uh, we always think of kids at Christmas. This morning I want us to change our thinking just a little bit from, from kids and the magic of Christmas because I know they get excited about all uh, that Christmas represents. But I want us to think about kids and the mystery of the gospel and, and let that be the greater impact on our hearts and on their hearts this time of year. Now Luke, as I mentioned, being a physician, gives us a detailed look into the life of what it meant for God to take on flesh and to become a child of physical parents. And just when we look at the life of Mary here, we begin to learn some things about what it must have meant to her. Mary, who kept all these things and pondered them in her heart at times, all of a sudden erupts in praise about this moment. And then we see in chapter 2, not only was Mary a, a mom who could praise God, but she was a mom who could get a little bit worried about her kid uh, when, when Jesus gets lost. And then we read about how Jesus, part of this humiliation, part of God becoming flesh and becoming a baby, was that he had to grow up. And so we learn a little bit about how he grew in Luke chapter 2 as well. And Luke includes all of this, I think, to help us see that there are three primary concerns for the next generation that are directed are directly addressed by the Christmas hope. Three primary concerns that we should have for the next generation. Three things that as parents and grandparents this morning, three things as a church that's serious about reaching the next generation with the gospel, three primary concerns that we need to see that Christmas shines a light on, we need to embrace this morning. And I pray that this will not only encourage you, I pray that it will challenge you. Just as Zach was challenged in this drama that his dad wanted him to see the difference that he could make in the world. I want you to see the difference God wants you to make in the lives of your children and the lives of your grandchildren and the lives of kids in this church, this community, and around the world, the difference the Christmas hope makes for the next generation. The first thing I want you to see is that the next generation must know. The ge next generation must know. This Christmas story, the fact that God, the Son, became a man, the fact that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God, that is something that kids must know. It's got to be something that we realize we need to help them to know this more than we help them to know any other thing. When we look back at this passage in verse 46, we see that Mary's getting really excited. She's erupting in praise, her spirits rejoicing in communion with God in verse 47. She considers her condition humble in verse 48, much like in the drama, she can't understand how God could use her. And I think there should be a humility in all of us to say, wow, God, you want to even use me in the lives of kids, in, in the lives of the next generation? And then she says in verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for me. His name is holy. And his mercy, verse 50, is from generation to generation. See, she was concerned about future generations. She was saying, future generations, because of the role I'm playing here 
as part of my human experience with the divine, even though that we don't have the same responsibility she had at that time. The hope of Christmas has still been something that we're made stewards of, just like Mary was. And she's saying, because of my role in this process, future generations, from generation to generation, they will know what God has done. His mercy is from generation to generation. And then in verse 55, just as he spoke to his, our ancestors, Abraham, and to his descendants, Abraham received that message as God called a nation that through his lineage would come the Messiah, through his lineage would come the hope of all nations, the hope of all future generations, his descendants and their descendants and their descendants. This Christmas hope would be passed down from generation to generation, so there would be a long line of people who were responsible for getting the Christmas hope. See, they were saved, even all the way back to Abraham, even all the way back to Adam and Eve, they were saved by grace through faith, looking forward to what Christmas would bring about, and that is that the Son of God would become the Son of Man. That future generations would know. Do we get excited or are we passionate this morning? about the next generation knowing Jesus Christ, knowing what he came for, knowing what he was all about. Is that what really lights a fire in us? You know, if you go up and, and you ask kids what they want for Christmas, their eyes light up and they'll begin to tell you what they want for Christmas. Can you, as a parent, as a grandparent, begin to pour yourself into them in such a way that their eyes light up even more when they think about the fact that God became man and was born in a manger. See, I think kids get fired up about this. It's a mystery, the mystery of the gospel, that maybe at a young age they don't fully get their mind around, but they can understand, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Kids can understand that. Can you help them get more excited about that than anything else? In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 36, when we think about all that, that kids may want for Christmas, children, if you're listening to me this morning, when we think about all that you could possibly want for Christmas or what your friends at school might be getting for Christmas that you're not getting, I want you to remember Matthew chapter 8 and verse 36 says, what does it profit to gain the whole world if you lose your own soul? Or we might say as parents, what would it profit to give them everything but not give them Jesus? See, if Jesus is all you can give them, that's enough. That's enough. And we need to help them understand that if all we have is Jesus, that's more than we could ever deserve or ask for. What do you get more excited about? That first football you give them for Christmas or the first football game they ever play in? That first catcher's mitt or that first home run that they hit. That first gun they receive or the first deer that they kill. Is it the first A they get on their report card? Or the only A they get on their report card? What do you get most excited about your kids receiving? What do you get most excited about your kids knowing? Is it that first boyfriend or girlfriend that some of you get too excited about way too early in life? Or is it that when they give their heart and their life to Jesus Christ, I rem I'll never forget the day. Now, Karis, before she turned age seven, she truly expressed repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and we were all excited celebrating that. But I remember when she was about four years old, 
She was in her bedroom, and she wanted to pray a sinner's prayer. And we didn't really know how much she understood. But I know this. I know that her big brother came out of her room, and he said, Karis got saved! And he was so excited that his little sister came to know Jesus Christ. And again, we didn't understand all that that meant at the time. But we, we know that kids need to be passionate. Amen. Kids need to be passionate about who Jesus is and fall more in love with him than anything that this world could ever offer. The next generation must know. Secondly, I want you to see that we learn from this message about the hope of Christmas that the next generation must grow. They must grow. So it's not just that they come to know Jesus, but that they grow in Christ. Now, in chapter 2, we see that early in the life of Christ, when it was just the eighth day as it was the custom, in verse 21 of chapter 2, when eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, just like they had been told by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. See, from an early time in the life of Christ, his parents realized the importance of this dedication, of this consecration to say, we know that God's given us a wonderful stewardship, but Lord, we're coming to your place of worship. We're coming to the temple, and we're placing this child in your hands to be used of you. And every parent was called to do that. And even today, in some way, every parent is called to do that. And it's not just the dedication service, even though I love to have baby dedications. I love when we consecrate those children unto the Lord. But to be honest with you, it's more about the parents than it is the kids at those moments. See, those kids have to come to an age and an understanding themselves where one day they give their hearts and their lives to Jesus. But as parents, we have to early on say, we're going to create the environment. As grandparents, as the church body, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to create the environment that they can come to grow in a relationship with Christ. We see uh, four areas where every kid needs to grow when you look at the end of chapter 2. After this little incident in the temple... Chapter 2 ends, look at verse 51 and 52 with me. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased. That's the word for grow. He grew up. He increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And all four of these growth areas are important. He grew in wisdom. That's mental growth. We want our kids to grow in wisdom and understanding both uh, spiritual wisdom as well as academic wisdom. We want them to grow as kids mentally and grow in wisdom and knowledge. But he also grew not only in wisdom, he grew in stature. He grew up physically. And so we want to pray for and provide for the, the nourishment and the healthy growth. But the greatest growth, I, I believe, is that third one. He grew spiritually. He grew in spirit. He grew in favor with God. And then he also grew in favor with man. That's social growth. And we want to provide for the next generation all of those areas of growth, mentally and, and physically. We want to help them to grow spiritually, and we want to help them to grow socially, learn how to interact with people in this world, mainly so we can do what the next point will be, but we'll, we'll wait before we get there, because I want us to stop with the spiritual growth. In 2 Peter 3.18, we're told that we should be 
moving them towards spiritual growth. It says, let us grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, why is that more important? First 1 Timothy 4.8, it says that the training of the body has limited benefit. doesn't say that physical exercise has no benefit. It does have benefit. But it says limited benefit. But godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. In other words, if we want the next generation to have an eternal impact, something that makes a difference not only for this world but for eternity, then we want to help them to be growing spiritually more than in any other area. That should be what drives us, is help the next generation to grow spiritually. Sometimes as parents, we're too busy to stop and help them with that. Sometimes even as a pastor, my life gets so busy that I don't slow down and say, what are the spiritual lessons that my children are learning. Do you you get so busy, parents, grandparents, with all the things that this world wants us to get involved with, with school and extracurricular activities, that we don't stop and help them with their spiritual growth? You know, world-famous violinist Joshua Bell was in the Washington, D.C. metro station. He had been touring. He gets paid literally thousands every time he participates in a concert somewhere, but He had been touring, and he was in the Washington Metro, the subway there, the station, in an area where thousands come through. And he decided he was going to take out his violin and pretend that he was someone that perhaps didn't have any kind of fame or fortune and open up his violin case and just begin to play and see how people responded. And so he began to play, and nobody stopped. Now, here is a fellow that two days earlier, had played in Boston for thousands of dollars in front of thousands of people. They had paid all kinds of money to hear him play the violin. And now he is playing in the Washington metro station, and nobody's stopping. And he's playing beautiful music, and nobody's stopping. But occasionally some kids would want to stop. And when the kids would want to stop, the parents would just rush them along. Actually, there were some people who threw, he, he made $6 that hour. Thousands passed him by. Nobody took time to stop. A, a few kids wanted to, but every time a kid would stop to listen, parents would rush them along. And I think sometimes in their spirits, kids are saying to their parents, there's something beautiful going on here. God is at work, and God wants me to stop and, and get involved in what he's doing But as parents, we've already got our agenda, we've already got our plans, and we don't have time for them to be still and know that He is God and that He is playing in their midst and working in their midst and wanting to involve them in His show. So we find time for what's important. We find time to help our kids grow. Well, pastor, you know, it's hard to get to church on Sunday morning and then get them back on Wednesday night. That's really hard. To do that on a consistent basis, you don't understand. Listen, it's not just about being at church, it's in your home. Think about this. We make sure, most of us in here, make sure that our kids get to school for about 35 hours a week. That's a, their, their academic growth is so important to us. We make sure they get to school for about 35 hours a week. And if it's like my house, when they get home, they have a lot more hours of homework to do. So we find time for the academic growth. But then when we say, listen, we want you to be under sound teaching of the Bible for a couple of hours a week. 35 compared to maybe two and a half. Well, the Pastor, you know what? We are so busy. We don't have time for their spiritual growth. 
hour and a half on a Wednesday night or a couple hours on a Sunday morning. We don't have time to have a family devotion. We don't have time to sit down and talk about what they're learning spiritually. See, that's interesting. We can't afford to send our kids to camp that they might grow in their faith, but football camp is a non-negotiable. But, but not Christian camp, not church camp, because we've got to have our priorities in order. Our kids want to go on a youth mission trip. I just don't think that we can swing it right now. Oh, but they want to go to the concert of a secular artist. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that happens. What's most important to us, that our children grow spiritually or that we look good as parents in all these other areas? The next generation must grow. And finally, I want you to see and this is probably the hardest one for all of us. Once you see that the next generation must go. <laughs> Some of you are already thinking, yeah, I'm ready for them to go. I'm ready for my kids to grow up and go and go off to college, go get a job, get out of the house. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. It's more than that. See, this, this familiar story that's sandwiched in between here where Jesus stays back in Jerusalem when he's about 12 years of age. That's too young to do anything for God, isn't it? He's 12 years of age, and he stays back in Jerusalem, and they kind of panic. They realize that they went off and left Jesus. Now, listen, before we act a little pious this morning, I want you to remember that um, we've made a few phone calls around here before to say, um, you left your kids at church. <laughs> Any guilty parents? Me. Yeah, we, have we ever? So let's not be too hard on Mary for leaving her kid in Jerusalem. It was a crowd, and they traveled as a crowd, and kids played together in the crowd. But Jesus was where it was most important. And in verse 48, she says, it says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Anxious. That means Mary was saying, Jesus, we were worried sick about you. Mary was real, like us. In verse 49, he said, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? In the King James Version, he says, Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? It's not just go to church. It was, I had to be about my father's business. See, we need to let our kids go so they can be about the father's business. It's not just to say, okay, we want, whether it's at an Awana meeting on a Wednesday night or whether it's in their bedroom or whether it's on a Sunday morning, we want to know our kids are saved and that they're going to be in heaven with us. To be a saved child of the living God means that you've given your heart and life to Him and you begin to grow. Any baby who is born, we want to see them grow physically. Any spiritual baby in Christ, we want to see them grow spiritually and get to the place where they can go and make a difference in the world for Him. Jesus was at a point where a boy would become a man. At that age of 12 and transition to age of 13, a boy was expected to become a man. A girl was expected to become a woman. And the parents would have to do a little bit of letting go so that that kid could go and do the father, father's business and make a difference in the world. But it's harder for parents who are worried sick sometimes about their kids to let them go, to launch them out. See, if we let them know and we let them grow, it'll be a little bit easier to let them go. 
to let them launch out and make a difference in the world. If we want to be a missional church, if we really want to be a church committed to reaching the next generation, then we'll want to be a church that helps kids get involved in things to make a difference in the world. We will equip them and we will send them out. I've been, been so excited to hear about how many young people are talking about being used of God in ministry and missions around here. And I think it's going to continue to grow. We want to see these kids get a heart for God and be about their father's business. And when we launch them out to do their father's business, we'll never regret it. I believe it was Rick Warren that said, a church is not known by how many it seats, but by how many it sins. And so my prayer is that we'll let them know We'll see a generation coming to faith in Christ that we'll let them grow, that we'll equip every home here, every parent here, every child here to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, that we'll let them go, that we'll see kids that are going all over the world to make a, a difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So really the challenge is parents and grandparents here this morning, right? It's to a church family. But I pray that the kids are hearing this and embracing this challenge. Are you willing to let them know? Do all you can to make the knowledge of Jesus Christ a priority. Are you willing to let them grow? And do all you can to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And then let them go. Let them go do what God has called them to do. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?